for um, 30 years. I've basically used the same type of computer uh, to do everything. Uh, I've written 11 books on this kind of computer. I've written the Bible and sermons on this kind of computer. And then all of a sudden, the Sheridan House staff decided to upgrade my computer and changed me over to an Apple computer. Kill me now. Kill me now. And, the, and uh, yes, I need time with you. And figuring out the Apple computer and Rosemary and I are up there and she's writing and I'm writing and we're getting these Bible studies done and writing some other things. And, and I look at her and she gets up and goes for a walk around, the, not many places to walk, but walk around the, the house. And I say, what's my, I can't make this work. Why would they, why would they change the computer on a 70 year old? And she, and she keeps calling down there and calling down here and calling down here. And I keep going down the hall with my computer to, the, to a 30 year old. And she now calls me Operator Era. In fact, she, she's abbreviated it to OE. OE's coming in again. Um, but change, it, it changes, change is difficult. I remember uh, in Fermenta Church, where when I walked in the church my first Sunday, they had six huge thrones on the platform. And I'd never seen that before. And I asked, what's that? I said, well, you're, you're sitting in the one there. That's all the pastors all sit up there. We sit on the platform? And I said, get the, get the chairs and take them off. And they look at me and say, I want to sit with my wife. I don't want to sit and be stared at. Uh, we're supposed to stare at the cross over the top of us. And so they get the chairs and uh, move them. And uh, last service, I walked to my car. And my friend, who's chairman of the, of the elders, says, I'm going with you to your car. Uh, I said, why? I, yes. I said, there will be people waiting, uh, especially because you got the big Sheridan House wrap all around the back of it. And sure enough, they're waiting. What, what else are you going to change? What, what, what else are you going to change here? And I said, you know, I, I don't intend to change things unless they're not biblical. And we don't want to popify the pastors. We're just here to serve like you are. And number next, I want to sit by my wife. Stop. Yeah. Change is difficult. Not changing can be fatal. Change is difficult. Not changing can be fatal. Years ago, I was uh, speaking in Jacksonville, and I'd heard about a children's home up there. Um, and so I called ahead and said, can I tour the children's home in Jacksonville while I'm there? And I toured the children's home. It was on a Saturday, and I said, where are the children? And they said, we send them home on the weekends, Friday nights, and, and, and uh, they come back Sunday. I said, really? Why? And because Sheridan House was a seven-day program back then. We kept them up seven days until they accomplished the things they needed to accomplish, and then they went home. I mean, some went home in nine months, and some when he was here seven years, when you're ready to go. And so tell me why. I said, well, we want to work with the children and work with the parents, and then uh, we want to send the children home to the parents on the weekend and let the children practice. And the parents practice taking, taking their families back. And I'm driving back from Jacksonville going, wow, what is wrong with us keeping them here seven days? No wonder so many of them go home, and after two months, Tony went home once, and I, after two months, I went and got it. I had to get him and bring him back. It wasn't working. He hadn't practiced. But, and there were only four on staff then here at Sheridan House. We had one little children's home over in Hollywood. But it was difficult for all of us to make that change. And um, um, imagine them going home. Change is difficult. Not changing can be fatal. You know, it's like... My car, I drove the same car uh, for uh, I don't know how many years, but it, it had 224,000 miles on it, and uh, traded in my Chevy Tahoe uh, and uh, got a uh, Toyota Highlander, and wow, I mean, it has a television screen on the dashboard. And they expect me to look at that screen when I'm backing up? I don't think so, I got mirrors for that. 
and how long, thank you, how long it took for me to get used to it. I mean, it's six years old now and I'm finally using that screen for part of the backup process. I still have to use the mirrors because it's, it's change. You're just saying how old you are, yeah. yeah. Paul's gonna talk about change here. And it's an interesting change. It's a change that doesn't seem big to us, um, but he's gonna talk about it in Colossians 2.11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting the cutting away of your sinful nature. So the church in Colossae, all of a sudden the Judaizers were showing up. Gentiles were coming to Christ, barbarians were coming to Christ, and it's interesting because the word Gentile uh, comes from a derivative of the word genital, uncircumcised. And so, Paul, Paul and, and, and when I get to heaven, I want to ask the, the Pharisee of Pharisees, did it take you a long time to get here that physical circumcision is not necessary? There's the, there's the new cutting away of my sins. And the whole picture here of Paul saying, no, 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 the Judaizers are trying to create a hierarchy. Since you're not circumcised, we're the head of the church. And even the deacons were arguing over, oh, and in one church over, you're, you're giving more food to the to the, the, the Jewish widows than you are to the Gentile widows. And Paul is saying, no, it's, it's time. It's time for a change. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical. Yeah, in this passage, Paul is talking to us about a radical change in the designated symbol for being a child of God. I probably won't ask this question in heaven, but Lord, can you help me understand the whole purpose of circumcision? It doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, really? And how does anybody know that anybody's circumcised? Did you walk into the synagogue and pick up your robe? I mean, how do you know uh, that? I probably, won't, I probably won't do any of this in the staff Bible study because it's 50% female and they'll be passing out, yeah. But I, I don't get it. And the only thing, and I could be totally wrong, is it was such a barbarian culture. Women were so low Men, even, even the greats, I mean, we don't know how many wives David had. Five or six or seven and 200 concubines. This is David, King David. So was it a symbol that you realized, wait a minute, I've been circumcised. All of my body, including my penis, belongs to Jesus, belongs to God. What am I doing? This is what made Joseph so great. You realize Joseph in Egypt, it was probably a topless culture and for 12 years he didn't sleep with her, and she kept coming back to him. Wow, thank you for not putting me through that test, Lord. Wow, that's what makes him great. So the picture here is he says, that's not necessary anymore. There's a whole new thing here. When you came to Christ, and when you came to Christ, you were needy, sin-drenched, you were, quote, circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. He cut away all your sin. Now there's another interesting thing about circumcision is you don't make the choice. Your, your parents make the choice before you're eight days old. It's kind of like infant baptism. You don't make the choice, your parents make the choice. And, and there's that, that's why, in my opinion, just in my opinion, I didn't ever darken the door of a church till I was 20. I went to church for all the wrong reasons. I was trying to get a date with Rosemary and she wouldn't go out with me and my fraternity brothers told me she goes to church 
on Sundays at our church, which shocked me that my fraternity brothers went to church at all, but I'm talking Knoxville, Tennessee, University of Tennessee. Uh, everybody goes to church in Tennessee. The livestock and people's pets go to church. I mean, it's just that culture there. And so, realizing when I came to Christ, I need to make the overt decision. And he's going to talk to him about baptism as the new circumcision. I need, I need to do this new thing. And bottom line, I mean, in Genesis 17, 9, then God said to Abraham, and he's got Abraham alone, God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant with you and your descendants that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. And in case, Abraham, you don't know what that means, the next verse, verse 11, you must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Boy, don't, don't you want to see Abraham trying to explain this to all the men? Yeah, not going to be easy. It's a symbol. Sometimes there are things in life that God asks us to do that don't make any sense. It's just straight obedience. Straight obedience. You know, when we're in a time like this and everybody's worried about their finances and their jobs and, and the challenges now to give more than you've ever given in your whole life um, to, so that God gets the glory, but the bottom line is, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. Shouldn't I hoard my money and toilet paper? I mean, shouldn't I be hoarding now? No, you should be showing the sign that you completely trust me. So I came to Christ chose not to get baptized, it was too showy, didn't want to do it, and came, moved to South Florida and joined a church called uh, Pompano Beach Grace Brethren Church, and the pastor asked me, have you been baptized? And I said, no, sir, I haven't. He said, well, you need to be baptized. And so I'm watching a baptism, and they do baptism different from anybody else. Number one, instead of backwards, you go forwards like Christ dying on the cross. Number two, they do what you call triune immersion. They baptize you three times. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. I mean, honestly, you almost need a snorkel uh, to, to get through that. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, this is, this is so humbling. And I remember Sweet Rosemary saying, that's the whole point. The whole point is humbled before God. The whole point is you don't, you don't baptize yourself. You are baptized. He did it all. It's an absolute symbol. And so God said to Abraham, this is what I want you to do. And I, again, when Joshua was get, getting ready to go into the promised land with all those, some estimate, two million peoples and realized that only he and Caleb, because everybody else was born after they got to Egypt, he and Caleb are the only ones circumcised. And it says in Joshua uh, chapter 5, verses 3 through 8, they, they circumcised every single man. And then they had to give it time for healing. And I'm thinking, okay, we're getting ready to go to war. These countries around here are going to attack at any time. And you want to handicap us? Yeah, and guess what? It worked. And they took the land. Not because of their skills. They were slaves. They didn't have any war skills. Because of their obedience. When you came to Christ, you were, quote, circumcised. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision the cutting away of your sinful nature. Paul is talking about the new circumcision from a physical procedure to the choice of a personal demonstration. 
and he's going to get there. A personal demonstration. A personal de Why would I do this? I mean, this makes no sense. What does this do? Nothing more than obedience. Just shows obedience. Just shows obedience. And there are times in every warrior's life where he just wants you to be obedient and lean not to your own understanding. You don't understand this? In fact, Bob, what makes you think you're supposed to understand these things? You know, that was, that was Peter's part. If, if, if you are, beckon me to come to you walking on water. And he walked out there on water, staring at Jesus, and then he looked at the problem and sunk. I think that's us today. There, get up, have my devotions, realize this is exactly the verse I needed for today. And then I make the mistake of doing something where I see, hear, get in a discussion of what's going on in this crazy world, and I, and I start sinking. And I start sinking, and I start worrying. Yeah. If circumcision was instituted by God as a reminder to man, mankind still failed. Man still sinned. We still sinned. We needed so much more. In fact, we needed a new symbol, a new process. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to, to, a, to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So you didn't raise yourself to a new life. You were raised, it says there. He raised you. Baptized under, underground in the tomb, in the water, raised back out of the water. It's, it's nothing you did. That's just obedience. But it's a symbol of what was done for you. Like a pastor brings you out. He brought you out. He brought you out. Such an amazing picture here. The new symbol of belonging to God was and is the obedience of baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is the awkward demonstration you choose to do to publicly reveal your faith in Christ. To publicly, to come out of it, to publicly reveal. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm being obedient. I'm trusting you. Yeah, for you were buried when, with Christ when you were baptized. Yeah, buried under the water as a symbol of Christ's burial for you. This is, this is too easy. What he did is too unimaginable. God, God put on skin and came down here for me. And can I say, if you were the only person on this planet, he would come for you. Well, unless it was Charlie, he probably wouldn't come at all. But the rest of us, if you were the only person on this planet, he would come for you. He loves you like an only child. He loves you like an only child. The picture here, buried under the water as a symbol of Christ's burial for you. I, I, I'm not asking you to change, change the rules, Lord, but couldn't you, shouldn't you have made it a little harder for us? A little more difficult? Shouldn't we have, so we feel it or get bloody or something? Oh, no. Would you do that with your grandbaby? No. No. I wouldn't. I love you with an everlasting love. Yeah, and I don't let you baptize yourself because I want it in public. And I want you to realize you did none of it. None of it. 
It was on YouTube. I was looking up baptism things, and it was on YouTube. This, it was awesome. This pastor is calling to this kid to come down the stairs, and he was probably six or seven. And instead of coming down the stairs, he cannonballed into the baptistry. <laughs> and soaked, and the pastor couldn't keep it together. He was out of control laughing and said, we're done. <laughs> it was just, he didn't quite understand what was going on, but um, yeah, it's, too, it's, just, it's just too easy because you, you trust it. So, number seven, the process of baptism is the new symbol of our relationship with Almighty God made possible by the horrendous sacrifices of Jesus. Yeah, and I think letter A, it's meant to remind me of what Christ did. Buried. Back. To remind me of what Christ did. And letter B, actually, the fact that someone has to do it, it is a picture meant to remind me of the fact that I did nothing to earn it. Nothing. It's not a give enough, do enough, say enough, speak enough, willingly suffer enough. If you you gotta, you gotta be my age to remember the movie The Godfather. In the movie The Godfather, um, it's not Sonny, it's Michael Corleone, meets with the Bishop of New York. It was such an amazing scene. How much do I have to give to the church to guarantee, remember this? To guarantee my generation and my children's generation will be in heaven. And I'm just watching that hoping, and the bishop gives him a number. If you give this much to the church, it's a guarantee. It was a million dollars. It, was it a million dollars? Yeah, today it'd be about 100. Why would you remember something like that? <laughs> yeah, I did nothing to earn it. Let her see. It's something awkward. I choose to do out of gratitude and obedience. I love it at uh, City Rev that they do the baptisms outside in what looks to me like a, like a horse trough or something. Is that what it is, that round thing? That, yeah. And watching hundreds of people and people weeping and a lot of people revisiting. I'm sure a lot of people revisiting the day they were, they were baptized. And it's just so sweet to watch. Yeah. It, it's, it's a picture of, of I'm, only reason I'm doing this, because this is weird, Lord, doing this publicly. The only reason I'm doing this, obedience. So, son, as you do this in obedience, what about the ongoing constant? Instead of the circumcision of your penis, how about the circumcision of your eyeballs and the things you look at that walk by and bounce by? Because I see what you see. Yeah. Verse 13 goes on to say, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Oh, my goodness. So why did God do this? Because he loves you. And I think it's hard, difficult, for us to grasp being loved by the creator of the universe. He loves you. Let her be. Because he wants you to be with you. He wants you to be with him in heaven. He can't imagine heaven without you. So there's an obvious question here. Question. Then why doesn't he save us and take us immediately to heaven? Anybody ever thought on that? If he loves us that much, why do, doesn't he... I mean, when, when Roby finished 
his degree on that campus. I went and got him. We're done here. Why doesn't he bring us immediately home? Oh, he's got something for us to do. Yep. We have every, every man in this room has influence. And every man in this room, probably the people around you who would, are, are pagans, know you're not happy in this season. It's the season for them to see our joy. It's the season for them to see us serving. It's the season for them to see us being the kindest, not the edgiest, the kindest we can possibly be, the most generous we can possibly be. And can I say for those that are married, it's the time for us to be the greatest servant to our spouses. The greatest servant to our spouses. And, and th there's an irony there, because typically if you're married, you're married to your opposite. Couldn't be more different. And there's things about Rosemary that irritate me. Um, being on time means 15 minutes early. Um, being on time to her means get there at some point. And it's like, and I'm in the car, and I've learned not to wait in the car, and I know that God, I know he's having to hold the angels back, because uh, the angels are saying to God, does he realize how far over his head he is in this marriage, like you are? Yeah, does he realize that? Should we go do something to him? And no, he's, he's going to grow up. But he's also going to learn to be kind, and I'll never forget, and I've told you this before, um, Jim Vigorito was a, another one of the counselors here. Jim Vigorito uh, got his PhD at Yale in psychology and came to Christ at the same time, which is not, I can't imagine. Um, and uh, came down, down here. He's really, really smart. And we'd go out to lunch once a month. And uh, he, he, he would always say things that I have no idea what we're talking about, to tell you the truth. He's so smart. And he said, I just realized God's not only my father, he's also my father-in-law. And when I'm praying in the morning, I'm praying to my father-in-law. And I'm just sitting there looking at him thinking, okay, this is going to be another one of those lunches that I have no idea what we're talking about. What does that mean? He said, well, how do you treat his daughter? Rosemary's his daughter. You're assigned to be her servant, her foot washer. The washer of feet washed feet. The maker of feet washed feet. Are you washing? And the most important time to be washing her feet is when you disagree with her. Wow, Lord, this is difficult. Look what I did for you. Son, look what I did for you. And, and the, the funny thing is, and some of us were talking about before, it's the whole North Carolina, the whole cabin in North Carolina. It isn't me. I'm from New York. People are weird up there. You know, I mean, they wave at you when they drive by without even looking at you. It's an obligatory, there's something wrong with their elbow joint, and they drive by and, that's it? People here... Here, at least people here when they wave, it's a one-finger wave. And, and you know, it's just different up there. It's different. It's different up there. And, and, but she loves it up there. Yeah, because he loves me? Yeah. Why would he keep us here? Because he has a unique plan for each of us here on earth. Bob, bring my other children home with you, son. Go after them. And, and Bob, there, there are people in your life you do everything you can to avoid. Stop it. You think I loved the disciples? They were idiots, Bob. They interrupt me in the middle of a message, send the people to town to get something to eat? Are you kidding? 
Yeah, they're idiots like me. So, Bob, when I put obnoxious people in front of you, love on them. Because I, I'm leaving you there. I have a unique plan for you, son. Yeah, it's Paul in prison. One of the most amazing verses ever in my life. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. I'm in prison here. And I continue to hope and expect. I will never, oh, I should have shared. Oh, I should have been kind. I should have realized I'm not chained to these two guards. They're chained to me. And oh, by, by the way, while Paul was in prison, a revival broke out on the Praetorian Guard. We know how that happened. Paul, yeah, I will never be ashamed. I'll never back down. I'll never get tired. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. In other words, if I have to live, I'll live for Christ. If I get to die, it's all for me. I get to go. No more back pain. No more whatever. Yeah. Wow. In essence, Paul is saying, the sacrifice of Christ has given me so much forgiveness, purpose, and heaven, while I still have to be here on, in this life. I will give myself up out of overwhelming, all-consuming gratitude to Christ. Wow. When I finally get to go to heaven, that will be inconceivably better. Inconceivably better. And it means being a noticer. So in the Tuesday night Bible study, a woman came in on a walker, and because she's having to use a walker right now, sat right there, and she brought somebody we'd never seen before. And the woman, they're, they're both in their 60s, and she introduces me to her sister from New York City. And then she, uh, she's getting ready, this one's getting ready to get coffee. So let me get you some coffee. No, I want to talk to you. Come here. Would you pray for her? This is the first time she's ever been in a Bible study. She didn't want to come. The only reason she came uh, was because she was concerned about me and my walker. And she came. And she came in on a walker that had um, the back legs of the walker were such that they could get hooked on something and go down real easily. And it just so happened that JT, who works here, had his mom uh, was on a walker sitting back there. And she said, JT, go out of my car. She's got the wrong clips. I've got this, the backup clips you bought me in, in the car. And so JT goes out and says, ma'am, can I put these on your walker? And, and the Jewish sister is watching, older sister, and watches this. And tears roll down her face. And Rosemary's watching it and gave an altar call. And that woman came to Christ. And what's the chance of us having these $3 things you put on the back of a walker? Well, JT, you thought those were for your mom. Those were for heaven. I'm convinced I miss that regularly. I'm convinced I walk by the opportunity to be stupid, radically generous, walk by the opportunities to serve my wife. It was, and I, I, married, I married to a brilliant, intellectual, 4.0 all through graduate school, 10-year-old. And last week I brought her whatever those things that have honey on the bread that you bring. And uh, she said, well, I, you know, I really shouldn't eat this. I'm trying to, and she took a bite, and that thing was gone. And so today she reminds me and has already texted me, don't forget to bring two home. <laughs> and I thought, are you 12 or what? what, what how old are you? And I thought, you know, it's not that I have to, it's that I get to. You get to serve the daughter of the king. You get to serve the people all around you. And 
probably the most important, and for such a time as this, Bob, I'm telling you, love your enemies. Wow. Love your enemies. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I have to live still, I'll live for Christ. If I get to die, it's all for me. This is real easy sitting here. It's when we get out of here and somebody cuts us off on Flamingo Road or whatever, 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 whatever. And Jesus and the angels are watching me. Wow, Bob, well, it was a nice lesson, but you didn't hear yourself, did you? It's to go out there and make a difference for Christ's sake. And honestly, to be nice in South Florida is weird. It's an opportunity. People are desperate. Not just to see your behavior, but know the reason for it. Oh, it's my faith in Christ. It's my faith in Christ. 